I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. The task which has been set us is not above our strength, long as we have faith. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. God's work must truly be our own. Uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning, and uh, welcome back to our series, a series called Unstoppable. And I love this series. I love this series because we're talking about the greatest movement of all. There have been a lot of movements throughout the centuries, right? Movements have come and movements that have gone, but, but God's church is unstoppable. And God has been doing something incredible throughout the world through His church, the church is the vehicle by which God accomplishes his work in the world. The, the church is the hands and feet of Christ. And so we are the church today. And the generations have now come to us. We stand on the shoulders of men and women who've gone before us. And now we are God's church. And united in this confession of Christ that Jesus Christ is our Lord, we are the church. And it's exciting to see what God's doing. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open back with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts stands for the Acts of the Apostles. Or maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online and follow along with us and see what God's Word has to say today. Also, we'll put the scripture on the screen. Uh, also, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So there's some Bibles in the back, and that's just for you. You can have a Bible, and that'll be yours. Just write your name in it, and love for you to have that, love for you to keep that. Uh, with you. So let me set this up for you. Acts was written by a guy named Luke, and Luke was a doctor, a physician. He's very precise, very historically accurate, and so he wrote kind of volume one is the gospel of Luke, and talks all about what Jesus did, and the way he lived, and the miracles that happened, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then kind of volume two is Acts. And so what happened in the early church, what started this movement and the movement that continues and how the movement spread throughout the world at that time and throughout the world now today is what we're seeing. And so you see this and, and Acts is, is, is just this awesome account of God's work through his church. Acts chapter 1 opens after Jesus has been crucified, after he's been resurrected, and Jesus brings his disciples. Remember, he's, he has these 12 guys who've been following with him. Judas betrays him, so now they're down to 11. And so these 11 guys, and they meet up on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus looks at the guys and he says, hey, you've been following me for three years. I've been pouring into you. And then he tells them, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And these 11 guys are kind of looking at each other like, what's the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, you know, what, what are you talking about? Now, now we get this, go be your witnesses, go tell people, but, but we're, we don't really understand it. Then Jesus ascends into heaven. And they're like, okay, now what? So they start to think, well, maybe we'll go back and pray. And they come back, there's about 120 believers. And so in Acts chapter 1, they're huddled together, they're praying together. And Acts chapter 2 opens with the Holy Spirit coming. And the Holy Spirit descends upon them, right? The Spirit of God comes while they're praying and they're just like, yeah! I mean, they are fired up because of the confidence and the joy and the peace of God's presence in them and with them. So they go out and they begin to share. They go out and be witnesses like God said to do. And, and they're out at Pentecost. Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. And they're going around, they're telling people about Jesus. 
Peter stands up on the temple steps and begins to share the gospel, just talks about Jesus. And that day, 3,000 people accept Christ. 3,000 people are added to the church. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it says, hey, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to fellowship. They devoted themselves. And that's what you see kind of the key, this devotion that they had. They said, you know, hey, we're not just going to show up every now and then. We're, we're in this thing. We are committed. We're locking arms together. And they would come for corporate worship times like we do, where we'd sing songs and praise God and study God's word together. But they also met in homes where they broke bread together and they shared life together, right? They had community groups. They had if tables. They would share what was going on with them. So they had both of those happening. Acts chapter 3 opens with Peter and John going up to the temple. Peter and John were two of the disciples. They were two of the leaders of the early church. They're going to worship. They're going to church. And, and there's a beggar. And, and they've walked by him lots of times before, going up the steps. Everybody has. But this time, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, wait, wait, don't just walk by this guy. I'm, I'm going to do something to this guy's life. And so here's the beggar, right? He's begging money, 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 because this beggar... Like many of us today, we, we think that problems are going to be solved by money. If I can just get more money, right, that's going to solve everything. And what Peter and John said is, hey, wait, look at us. Give us your attention. God wants to do something bigger in your life than money. And the guy looks up at him and Peter says, silver or gold I don't have. But what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And he reaches down, he grabs the guy's head, and the, and the guy stands up. And you can imagine, this guy's like, I've never walked before in my life. And he's just like, yes. And he comes to church with them, and he's there, he's praising God. And when God does great things in your life, you can't wait to worship, can't wait to celebrate. This guy's just going crazy, and everybody's like, unbelievable. And this huge crowd gathers around trying to hear what has happened to the guy they've walked by all of these years seeing, begging. And so Peter just tells them, hey. It's Jesus. We didn't do this. This is what God wants to do in people's life. God wants to redeem. God wants to restore. God wants to make things new. So this huge crowds gather around, and then look what happens in chapter 4. Pick up here in verse 1. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So persecution comes to the church. You may recognize the temple guard, the Sadducees. These were the ones who had Jesus crucified, right? These were the religious leaders of the day. And now Peter and John are in jail. And Peter and John are there. And persecution, I'll just tell you this, is a mark of the church. Persecution is also a mark of ministry. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, he goes, you know what, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's going to happen because the world is all living for itself, right? What can I have for me, for me, for me? And when you go out and begin to live like Jesus, there's going to be people who push back. Some, some of you know this. So some of you, you have people in your life that go, why do you go to church all the time? I don't get it, I don't understand. Why do you, why do you go on mission trips? I mean, why, do you, why do you sponsor orphans? I mean, why, why do you pray at meals together? Uh, why, why, do you, why do you have a, a, a marriage where you support one another and you encourage one another and you, well, 
why don't you just, you know, kind of do what everybody else does? You know, well, why? And you also feel like you're on the defensive a little bit. You're like, uh, well, what do you mean, you know? And, and why do you post stuff on Facebook? And why are you so encouraging? Because we live in this world. We live in this tension. And the fact of the matter is if you're a disciple and you're living for Christ, there's going to be some people who push back. Right? Maybe you felt that at, at school. Maybe you felt that at work. Maybe you felt that sometimes even in your own home. Maybe, maybe you feel a little bit of this pushback. I want to tell you, it's natural. Right? Because the world doesn't understand that at first. The world's going, I don't, I don't get that. I think it's about me. And so, and so they're seeing this guy's life change. And they arrest Peter and John and put him in jail. But look what happens. The next day, the, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, uh, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Guys, we've got to put ourselves kind of in Peter and John's spot. They had to be scared to death. I mean, 50 days earlier, these same guys, you recognize the name Caiaphas, Annas, those same guys were the ones that had Jesus nailed to a cross. And now here we are 50 days later, and Peter and John are in jail. And I bet they're going, oh man, this isn't going to go well. That looks like a terrible way to die. I mean, here we go. This is just going to be. But there was something different now. The Holy Spirit. And God was moving. And God was working. Did you remember 50 days earlier, Peter denied Jesus three times? Do you remember 50 days earlier when Jesus was arrested and they went up to Peter and they go, hey, hey, Peter, weren't you, weren't you the guy that was with him? And Peter's like, no, no, no. Remember the fear Peter had? Slave girl comes up to him, hey, weren't you one? No, no, not me. And then the rooster crows and Peter just breaks down. Oh, I denied him, I denied him, I can't believe it. And now we're at a defining moment for Peter. <laughs> is he still going to live in fear? Or is he going to live in faith? Is he going to live in fear? Or is he going to live in faith? Maybe there's been a time in your life where you go, man, I wish I would have stood up for God. I wish I would have said something to my friend who was talking about not knowing if they had hope or if they had life. I, I wish I would have said something. I wish I would have stepped in. I wish... You know what, Peter gets another chance and so will we. And here comes this defining moment right here for Peter. Then Peter, verse 8, in front of all these people, right, he stands up and it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I gotta stop right there because the fact of the matter is this, when you respond to Christ, as God draws you to himself and God invites you into this relationship with him, God places his Holy Spirit within you. Every one of us, every believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter had the Holy Spirit, but you do too. And sometimes we go, well, I don't feel the Spirit, right? I, you can quench the Spirit. But God's Spirit is still alive in you. That's why when you come to church on Sundays and you go, man, I just feel so close to God. I mean, when I'm worshiping, I'm just excited. I'm so thankful. It just makes sense. And, and then I go back out and I'm like, I don't feel the same. Well, imagine this. I mean, you're here. There's this open communication line. There's no distractions. You're focused on God. Out in the world, so many times we're thinking about everything else. We're thinking about our circumstances. We're thinking about our troubles. We're thinking about our fears. And God the whole time is going, I'm here. I'm with you. 
But you and I start to learn to live by the Spirit, right? Walk by faith and not by sight. And so Peter stands up in front of all these guys, this defining moment. What's he going to do? Is he going to respond and say, you know what, I don't know what happened. I'm just going to kind of slip away here. Or is he going to stand up for Christ? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, I think he was being a little sarcastic there, you know. Hey, man, what were we on trial for? We helped a guy, you know. I mean, we, he was lame and now he's walking. Come on. And we were asked how he was healed. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Oh, way to go, Peter. I mean, you know, he didn't back off. He didn't sit back and just try to deny anything. He stepped into it. You know what, guys? Listen, it's Jesus. It's Christ. He's the one who changes lives. He's the one who brings hope and healing. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And then verse 12. And I want to tell you, verse 12 was very controversial back then. It's still controversial today. But here's what Peter said. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter just lays it out and goes, hey guys, listen, listen. It's not just in the Old Testament law, right? It's not in being good. It's not in being religious. It's in Jesus. Salvation comes in no one else but Jesus. It's still controversial today, right? There's a world we live in, it's kind of like all roads lead to heaven. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe. We're all going to kind of end up somewhere someday. And God's going, no, 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 listen, 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 listen. I sent my son for a reason. My son died on a cross to pay the price for everybody. Salvation comes in no one else. It's not in being good enough. You're never going to be good enough. None of us are. None of us ever will be good enough. None of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. God is holy. God is perfect. We're all going to mess up. It's not a being good enough. It's not being religious enough. It's in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. That's the way it is. And God said, I sent my son because I love everybody. It's not narrow-minded. It's not short-sighted. God said, I've got a plan for the whole world. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God goes, I've made a way for everybody. Today in the world, two billion people would say, I'm a follower of God through Christ. I'm a Christian. But God said, I want everybody to know. And so Peter stands up and says, hey guys, listen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. See, disciples point people to Jesus. That's what disciples do. Disciples point people to Jesus. And a lot of times when people say, hey, why are things happening in your life? Why, why are things going so well? Or what's going on with you? And, and, and we can make a lot of things like, man, I just, you know, I'm rocking it right now. I'm feeling good. Things are happening. I'm making a lot of deals. My you know, business is going well. Or, or we can say, I, look, I want to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the one who brings hope. Jesus is the one who brings help. Jesus is my rock and my refuge. Jesus is there for me. And I want you to know about Jesus. And so here, Peter's putting his life on the line, right? And he says to these guys, hey, it's about Jesus. And then verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
what did they see? They saw the courage of Peter and John. And they saw that they were, they were unschooled, ordinary men. See, God uses ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. It's the way God works. God works through his people. He always has and he always will. God works through his church. And the church is not a building. The church is the people. And God works through men and women who just say, okay, God, I mean, I'm unschooled. I don't know everything. I can't find, you know, all the books of the Bible. I mean, I'm learning and I'm growing, but I'm not there yet. But I'm ordinary, you know. I mean, but, but God, here I am. And these people took note about what? They took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. They said, there's something different about these guys. There's something different in the way they live. There's something different about their passion. There's something different about their joy. There's something different about their hope. What's different about us? When people at work look at us, when people in our neighborhood, when people in our community, when people look at them, they say, well, what's different about us? And it's not that we're like brilliant, you know, biblical scholars, or it's not like we're, hey, we've got it all together in life and we're perfect. It's it, just that people ought to take note that, hey, man, there's something different because these people have been with Jesus. <laughs> these people love Jesus. There is hope. There's Jesus. They saw that in Peter and John, and I pray they see that in us. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I mean, what were they going to say? I mean, here's a guy who was crippled, and now he's transformed. The fact of the matter is, you don't have to argue anybody into the kingdom of God. God does that. God works in people's hearts and people's lives. God specializes in transformation. All you do is say, hey, look, here's my life. I was dead in my sins and my transgressions before. I was living for myself. My life was out of control. And Christ came in and redeemed and restored me. I'm a changed life. <laughs> this is who I am. And Christ has impacted my marriage. Christ has impacted how I raise my kids. Christ has impacted my career. Christ has impacted my generosity. Christ has impacted every area of my life. And I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. And you can see the change. Look at what God's doing in his church. Look what God's doing throughout the world. Look at what God's doing. And people go, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So here's their strategy. All right, guys, listen. We know... We know, obviously, something happened. And we know something happened in this guy's life, something happened in your life. But, but here's the deal. Stop talking about Jesus. That was our strategy. That was our strategy back then. And honestly, it's kind of the strategy of the world today, right? You can believe what you want to believe, but, but don't talk about Jesus. And don't put that out there. But disciples go, well, what else am I supposed to talk about? I mean, Christ is the one who gives hope. Christ is the one who gives life. Christ is the one who brings healing. He is my everything. And then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And look at verse 19. I love this. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John are just like hey, let me tell you something, guys. You have to decide, should we obey God or should we obey you? And for all of us, we've got to make that decision. See, Jesus told them, 
But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus told them, hey, you go out and share the love of Christ with others. You go out and be the hands and feet of me. And we've got to make that decision. Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey men? Are we going to live our lives for Christ or are we going to say, you know what, if somebody pushes back or somebody says, you know what, you're getting a little out of hand here, you've invited me to church, or you know, you're going on mission trips, or, and we're going to go, well, okay, you're right. Maybe I'll just shut her down. Maybe I'll go home and kick out on the couch and watch Sports Center for a while and just kind of, you know, yeah, I'm just going to be comfortable. And God's going, no, 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 no. Engage. Engage. Obey me. I'm doing something bigger. I'm doing something great. Trust me. In your life, in my life, we have to answer that. Are you willing to obey God or do you just want to obey men? Sometimes we can live in fear, right? We may feel God calling us to, to be baptized. We may feel God calling us to, to really work on our marriage. We may feel God calling us to go on a mission trip. Or we may feel God calling us to give. And, and every time, you know, we start and we get a little pushback and we go, oh, no, 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 no. And we have to make that determination in our own heart, in our own life. Who am I going to obey? Who am I going to follow? Who am I going to trust? After further threats, they let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They were like, we got to let these guys go because look, a miracle happened, obviously. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Can you imagine? I mean, the church has been on an all-night prayer session. They're praying for Peter and John, who are leaders in the church. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. They open the door. There's Peter and John. They're like, yeah! You know, they're so excited. And it says, when they, when they heard this, they, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You know what they basically said? God, you're in control. God, you are sovereign. None of this caught you by surprise, oh God. And God, you sent your one and only son. And it wasn't the Romans and it wasn't the Jews who, who nailed Jesus to the cross. God, you had ordained that a sacrifice should happen. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, you did this. We can never forget that God's in control. We can never forget that God is sovereign. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Listen, I, I don't. I don't know the battles you're facing. I don't know the struggles that are happening. I don't know the worries or the fears. But what I do know is this. Our God is greater. Our God is sovereign. And our God hasn't forgotten about you, not in the slightest. Our God is with you and our God is for you. And the Bible says he will uphold you with his mighty right arm. You stay faithful. You hold on to him. God is here. And God cares about you. God 
loves you. Just like he did his people back then, God loves us, his people, today. So the church just celebrates. And now I want you to see this. Look at verse 29. This is so powerful. Now, Lord, so the church is praying. And here's what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, notice that the church doesn't pray for protection. The church prays for boldness. I mean, how often do we spend our time praying for protection? Don't we? I do. I mean, I'm right there, right? And God, protect me, protect my family, protect my kids. God, protect. And then God, place a hedge of protection around us, right? We use that. Anybody else use that? Yeah, kind of, I don't even know what that means, you know, okay? <laughs> place a hedge of protection. Like, don't just protect me, but like have this protection, 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 protection thing outside of this because I don't want anything to happen to me, right? So protect me and protect the hedge of protection around me, God. I mean, it's like protection, and that's fine, right? It's fine to pray for protection. But what the church was and what made it so different was it wasn't just praying for protection. They were praying for boldness. God, consider their threats and help us to be bold. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Help us to obey you and not to miss it. Help us not just to kick back and relax and just go, okay, we'll ride our time out here and we'll spend eternity in heaven with you. God, help us to engage in our day and our generation. Do you ever pray for boldness? Oh, God, help me be bold. You know, help me stand up for you. And God, whether it's being baptized or whether it's going on a mission trip, or and a lot of times we're like, I can't go, God, please, because I gotta be protected, you know, protect me. And instead of praying, God, let me be bold. God, I pray for my kids. I pray my kids will be bold. I do. I pray when they go to school, God, not only do you protect them, God, I get that, but God, I want them to be bold. I want them to be light on their campus. I want them to be the joy of Christ around. God, I want to pray for protection, but God, I want to pray for boldness. That's what made this church different, right? God, let me be bold in my neighborhood. Let me be bold in my workplace. Let me be bold, Father, in my family. Let me say, hey, guys, we're going to pray today. We're going to pray a blessing. God, we're going to have a family devotional. God, we're, we're going to live our lives for you. They prayed for boldness, and here's the second thing they prayed for. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed for boldness, and they prayed for miracles. God, do something so big that everybody says, that had to be God. I mean, there is no way that was you people, that was the church, that had to be God, right? I mean, this beggar guy, we've seen him for 40 years. This guy's walking, that had to be God, okay? What are you praying for? What miracles do you pray for? Do you pray for miracles? God, do a miracle in my family. God, do a miracle in my marriage. God, do a miracle with my kids. God, impact generations through our faithfulness. God, do a miracle. Father, maybe I've been handed down some just terrible things through my family tree, but God, I pray for a miracle to come that will impact not just me in my life, but will impact generations that will come after me. God, I pray that you would do a miracle in our family. I pray, God, you would do a miracle in my workplace. God, there's a lot of people who are far from you. I pray that people would come to know you. I pray that people would come to church. I pray that lives would be changed. God, do a miracle here. God, I pray you would do a miracle in our world. I pray, Father, you would bring peace. I pray you would bring hope. I pray, God, you would use me, Father. I don't know what I can do. I'm unschooled. I'm ordinary. But, God, if you want to, here I am. Don't let me miss it, God. God. 
Let me engage. Now look at verse 31. It says, after they prayed. Notice those three words, right? Because here we see the power of prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can you imagine these guys are just praying, God, give us boldness. God, do a miracle. Father, use your church in a great way here in Jerusalem and around the world. God, and then the place starts shaking. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, yeah, woohoo! we're a part of what God's doing. There's the power in prayer. Prayer changes things, yes. Yes, it does. Prayer has the power to change the circumstances and the things that are going on in your life. But here's what else. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes you and me. And when you spend time in prayer, you know what? You grow in confidence. Because you're praying and you're praying. And all of a sudden your eyes are not just fixed on your problems and the circumstances that are happening around you. In prayer, you're moving your eyes and your vision to a God who is bigger. And in that moment, all of a sudden, you start to become bold and go, wait a minute, if God's for me, who can be against me? I mean, wait a minute, if God is for me, and God is my Father, and God has promised to provide, and God has promised to protect, and God has promised to be there for me, why am I so concerned about all this? That's the power of prayer. The transformation that happens in circumstances, but the transformation that happens in you. And as a church prays together, wow. The body of Christ coming together. See, that's where the movement continues. The movement continues through prayer and devoted disciples. The the movement throughout the centuries has been about prayer, the church praying together for God to move in their day and their generation, and because of dedicated disciples who have said, I'm not just going to settle for an ordinary life, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. I'm going to live my life for Him. And so look at verse 32, right? It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. I love that. All the believers. You know what, church? We're better together. We just are. We are better together. And when the church is being the church, when the church is praying for one another, when the church is encouraging one another, when the church is being the church, man, there's nothing like it. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples, if... If you have great worship, no, that's important. But no, if you have great, you know, teaching or Bible studies, that's important. But no, Jesus said, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said, people are, are starving for love. People want to go to a place where there's love. You know, you can go to the YMCA and find friendships. You can go to different places. You can go out to bars or different places. But you know what? When you come to church, you ought to find a group of people who love you. And who just say, you know what? I'm going to care about you. And you've got to make the effort, you've got to step in, you've got to engage. But there's a group of people who just said, hey, we're all in this together, we're locking arms together. And in one heart and one mind, that's how God changes the world. So God transforms life. God changes us one life at a time. And as we are changed, right, the world has changed. Our vision statement here at Rolling Hills says this, a people of God reaching out, Right, reaching out to the people around us who are in need, reaching out to the people around the world or the orphans or the broken or the poor, reaching out, growing up, maturing in our faith, growing in God's word, and then giving all. Being generous. Look at, that's what the church did. It says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. What does that mean? That means that the church said people are more important than possessions. 
People matter more than stuff. And where the world would say, hey, get more and more stuff for you, amass of stuff, build your own kingdom, the church was saying, no, what can I do for others? How can I be generous to others? How can I meet the needs of others? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Isn't that awesome? You know, the church was just like, hey, what difference can we make? How can we give what we have? How can we serve the people around us? How can we take care of the needs around us? Last Sunday, I watched as um, some of our A6 men, we're going to see that in a couple of weeks in Acts chapter 6. There's these, these men in the church who God called out to, to help lead and to help serve. And I was watching last Sunday as they were bringing in all these clothes from their closet. They had suits and dress shirts and, and they were collecting clothes for 413 strong. It's an amazing ministry in our community started by Steve Norris and our church and, and, and making a difference in the lives of, of young men coming out of prison or rehab and these guys are getting jobs and, and what they were discovering is they needed clothes to go and interview for jobs and, and so these guys, here we are, let's share it. We've got clothes, let's, let's bring it. You, you guys, church, you are so generous and I wish I could just stand up here and tell you story after story because I see it all the time of, of community groups that are helping people in need and community groups that are taking care of people in their community or, or Bible studies or if tables or men's groups who are just looking around and saying, hey, there's somebody who's going through a hard time. Let's take care of them. There's a food team that brings food to people who have just had babies or illness. Or You guys, that's the church. That's what God calls us to do. It's not simply to come and to sit and to soak. It's to be involved in what God is doing. And in that, lives are changed. People go, why are you generous? Why do you give? Why do you go? Why do you serve? And you know what we say? Because of Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has given me hope. Jesus has given me help. Hey, I was that beggar guy. I was dead in my sins and my transgressions. And now I'm alive in Christ. And I just want to bring the joy into other people's lives. There's this guy, right? The last verse right here. It just says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, I don't know this guy, but man, I would have loved to have been in church with this guy. I mean, son of encouragement. I, mean, I bet he was high-fiving everybody as they came into church. You know, I mean, this guy was just giving hugs. This guy was always just on fire for the Lord. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. He just goes, okay, guys, God's doing something great. You know what? I don't need a field. I got this field over there. I'm not even using this field. So let me just sell it, and let me bring it, and let's use it for the glory of God. Wow, we want to be a part of a church like that. You know, that's what God's doing here, church. And this is our day. This is our time. We are the church. And God's inviting us to be a part of something way bigger than ourselves. But we're a link in the chain. Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to pass the church on to those preschoolers, those children, those students that are all around us right now? What are we going to show them about what's important in life? What are we going to show them about, hey, this is how church is to be. This is how you are to be as a follower of Christ. Because this is our time, this is our chance, this is our opportunity. I don't know where you are today. I don't. And maybe in your life, maybe in your life, 
you've kind of been living more by fear than you have been by faith. And there's something God's been speaking to you about, and you've been going, oh, no, God, you know. And maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a mission trip. Maybe it's trusting him financially and giving. And every time it comes up, and you know, I mean, you know, it's the Holy Spirit speaking, right? It's like, not, it's not, you just go, oh. And God's going, hey, I gave you a chance, you know, before, but now here's another moment, defining moment. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to take a next step? Or are you going to trust me? You know where you see the miracles? You see the miracles when you step out in faith. <laughs> you see the miracles when you trust God. You see the miracles when you, when you start to pray for God to do something bigger than you can do on your own. What are you praying for? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. But I know this, our God is here. <laughs> and our God has called us for a time such as this. Have you ever thought of me, why was I born at this time in history? Why am I in this place? And God's going, I want you to be my witness. I want you to be faithful. I want you to make a difference in your family and in generations. I want you to make a difference in your neighborhood, in your community. So today, are you living by fear or are you living by faith? Is there anything that God's been calling you to do that you've just said no? Today, would you say yes? Today, would you just say it's better to obey God than men? I'm trusting. I'm following. Today in your life, are you you generous? Are there miracles that you're praying for in your family? In your workplace? Father God, we are your church today. Oh Lord, I pray you find us faithful. I pray you'd find us as men and women, ordinary men and women, God, that you would use in an extraordinary way. Father, I pray that salvation would come. I pray that people would trust you to follow you in baptism, an outward expression of what you've done in their hearts and lives. I pray, God, that we would be godly in our marriage. Father, that we would die to ourselves, that we would love our spouse well, God. I pray that we would be godly with our children. We wouldn't just pray for protection, God. We would pray for boldness. I pray that we'd be bold in our companies, our neighborhoods, our community, and that we would take the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for what you're doing here at Rolling Hills. God, that we get to be a part of it, seeing lives changed and transformed. God, help us to make the most of what you've called us to in our day. And God, we just want to give the glory back to you. We want to point people to you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your love. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.